The Orthodox Journey. In this edition of The Orthodox Journey, we reflect on the reading from the Holy Gospel on the 10th Sunday of Matthew, in which Christ heals the spiritual illness of an epileptic boy. For the first time today on the 16th of August 2020, we commemorate the newly canonized saint, Saint Joseph the Hesychast, who reposed on the day of the Dormition of the Most Holy Theotokos. This is The Orthodox Journey. The Holy Gospel on the 10th Sunday of Matthew with Nicholas Deftereos of the Greek Orthodox Christian Society. In today's Gospel, Jesus and the three disciples who were present at the Transfiguration came down from Mount Tabor. A multitude were waiting for their return. One of those in the crowd, a father with an epileptic son, approaches Christ and falls to his knees in front of him, and begs him to cure the boy from his illness. The disciples had tried, but failed, and Christ is his last resort. Christ bemoans the crowd's lack of faith, and calls for the boy. He is brought before Christ, who rebukes the demon, healing him that very hour. Later, when the disciples are alone with Christ, they ask why they could not cast out the demon. Unfortunately, the answer is not what they want to hear. They lack faith. If only they had faith the size of a mustard seed, then they would be able to move mountains. Christ also recommends further that prayer and fasting was required. Taking place about 40 days before his crucifixion, the passage concludes with Christ informing his disciples he is heading towards the cross, preparing them for his impending death and providing another example that he is in control of his own destiny. Today, we will focus on the disciples who could not cure the boy's illness. The disciples do not include James, John and Peter, who were on the mountain with Christ witnessing the transfiguration and were coming down with him as the father approached. In public, Christ makes a general statement to the whole crowd, O faithless and perverse generation! Do not blame the disciples, for you have all failed at being faithful, and what faith you have is perverted or twisted. While Christ defends the disciples in public, in private, we see the faithless and perverse generation does include them. Christ had given the disciples power over demons. 
they had exercised demons in Christ's name before. But what is wrong now? A discussion that occurs in the following chapter reveals the problem. When they ask Christ, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They had misconstrued what being faithful was all about. Like most of the other Jews, they probably assumed that following the Messiah, who was thought to establish a new worldly kingdom, would result in a privileged life. In their hopes for that kind of saviour, the disciples were part of a faithless and perverse generation that trusted and served itself rather than the one true God. Lacking true faith, they failed, no matter how much they called on Christ's name and are forced to return humbly to Christ. All you need is a little faith, Christ advises. He gives them an example of a mustard seed, which is tiny in size, only about one millimetre in diameter. If you have this much faith, you could move mountains. But what do mountains have to do with demons? Here, Jesus implies that a mountain can be an obstacle of sorts. Mountains are massive and usually difficult to climb or pass. Human history recounts endless stories of humans going to the edge of their endurance, climbing these landforms with many falling along the way. You require a lot of effort to climb and scale one, let alone move it. Have we considered moving spiritual mountains? What obstructions are blocking our way to Christ? That mountain within us, that passion, is blocking us from Christ. Be it wealth, pride, avarice or other pleasures. If we had faith, even the size of that tiny mustard seed, we could move that mountain to journey towards Christ because even if we were able to move mountains, we would only be scratching the surface of our life of faith. What could we do with faith greater than that of a tiny mustard seed? Christ also mentions the essential tools of personal change, prayer and fasting. Prayer is the sincere and fervent seeking of the one true God, seeking to discover his will in order to do his will. It is only when we stop focusing on ourselves, be it our strengths, our virtues, our abilities, even our failures and weaknesses, that we will be able to kneel before Christ, just like that Father, who recognises his helplessness. There is nothing he could do for his son, but he fell down on his knees, a position of humility, requesting mercy from the source of the power. The fact that Christ was able to cure the boy by his word shows possession of this power. Fasting brings under discipline our appetites to prevent them from becoming out-of-control passions that form our mountains. It makes us weaker in body, yet stronger in Christ. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We do not need any of our own strength. We must rely wholly on Christ and his power. Jesus came to die for our faithless and perverse people because we are the ones in need of saving. Let us not get distressed or discouraged like the disciples who in being reminded of the cross aren't yet able to see the life and joy that comes from the resurrection. Let us start moving these mountains. All we need is faith the size of a mustard seed. St. Joseph the Hesychast with George Dokos of the Greek Orthodox Christian Society. Joseph the Hesychast is today one of the most well-known and recognised contemporary saints alongside St. Paisios. His life, filled with struggle, extraordinary asceticism and spiritual diligence, is a great example to all Christians, but he is especially revered amongst monastics who hold him as the archetype of spiritual living. This short summary of the great saint cannot possibly detail every aspect of the saint's life, nor his wonderful teachings, nor all the beautiful stories and anecdotes he so often shared with his disciples, but rather will detail some of the basic facts about this spiritual giant who has influenced the life of so many. His humble life started in the small village of Lefkes on the island of Paros in Greece. Saint Joseph was born with the name Francis to parents Yorgos and Maria, one of nine children. The family was beset by tragedy early on, with three of Francis's siblings dying very young. Of the living six, there were Edina, Emmanuel, Francis, later known as Saint Joseph, Leonardo, Maruso and Nicholas, later known as Father Athanasios. The day Saint Joseph was born, his mother Maria experienced a heavenly vision of an angel approaching her newborn child. The angel, who filled the room with bright and heavenly light, had a stone tablet in his hand and began to write the name of the child on the tablet. Maria, in her amazement, called out, What is it that you want with my child? The angel responded, The king has need of him. No, you cannot take him, not my child. But the angel responded once more, I am telling you what is written, The king has need of him. And with that, the angel showed Maria a list of names, servants of the faith, 
as required by the Lord. From this moment and other similar incidents, his mother suspected and hoped that Francis would grow and join the angelic ranks of monasticism so as to serve the Lord. Francis grew up this way in both poverty and purity until he eventually left the island of Paros and moved to Athens to support his family through various odd jobs, such as mining and as a ticket collector on trains. Eventually, though, he served in the Royal Navy for two years for his mandatory military service and returned afterwards to Athens and began work as a merchant trader. As a young man, Francis showed his eagerness to excel, his intelligence and his integrity in his dealings with others and became a successful merchant. Even with all his gifts, his fiery character was ever-present from young. With the saint even describing himself as having a lion's heart. Once, a group of seven men stole twelve scarves from the store of Francis while he was away. On returning and seeing the theft, he chased the men down, who were busy dividing the spoils amongst themselves. Francis leapt into the centre of the group and began fighting with them to retrieve his property. Seven men and one Francis. Yet he was like a lion amongst them, furiously zealous and unyielding. His brother Nicholas, who was waiting anxiously at the store for Francis to return, saw a ruffled Francis walking back towards the store with all twelve scarves. Here they are, he said triumphantly, placing the scarves down. I fought them all off to get these back. This character trait would later be utilised by the saint constantly. In fact, when he became a monk, he said to himself, The fighter that I was in the world is how I will now be with the demons. Francis continued to work in the city to earn money for his family until one day he received a revelation from God. He received a dream that he describes as follows. I dreamt that I was passing by a palace, and all at once two guards seized me and took me up into the palace. I did not understand why and protested. They answered kindly not to be afraid, but to go up, since it was the king's wish. We went up into a quite exceptional palace, beyond any palace on earth, and they dressed me in priceless clothing of pure white and told me, From now on you will serve here. And they took me to pay obeisance to the king. I woke up at once, and the things I had seen and heard made such a deep impression on me that I couldn't think or do anything. I stopped working and remained deep in thought. Inside me I kept hearing that command as if it were being endlessly repeated. From now on you will serve here. My whole inner and outward state changed. Nothing of the things on earth interested me, but I didn't understand what my dream meant or what I ought to do. This vision birthed a spiritual desire in the heart of young Francis as he began to search for his life's purpose. One day after praying to God for guidance, he experienced a vision of a beautiful young man shining brightly with a glowing warmth. The man asked Francis, Who am I? To which Francis responded, I do not know. How can you not recognize me, since your heart is constantly meditating on me with warmth? I am the saviour of the world. From now on, I don't want you to be here doing business with earthly and temporal things, but I want you to be doing business with souls. 
You shall go to the barracks from which no one leaves unless I want him to. It was this vision that began the great change in Francis. His journey towards the monastic life had begun. When Francis eventually travelled to the holy mountain, Ayonoros, in 1921, he found the desolate, bleak and declining Athos. Many of the fathers amongst living there were poorly educated in the spiritual traditions that have long graced the holy mountain. Francis looked for many months to find a spiritual father that could teach him and guide him in the spiritual warfare that awaited him. Eventually, Francis settled in the brotherhood of the now Saint Daniel of Katunukia. Francis, though, desiring a hesychastal and ascetical life, was given the blessing by Saint Daniel to look for a spiritual father to cater for these spiritual desires. Francis, on his journey to find a suitable spiritual father, was accompanied by a simple monk who would stay with him for the rest of his life, Father Asenios, later known as the Cave Dweller. The two were told by Saint Daniel to go to the cell of the Annunciation, a small cave where two elderly and simple monks were living together, an elder Ephraim and Father Joseph. Saint Daniel advised that Francis and Father Asenios asked to become the disciples of these two monks so as to benefit from their spiritual guidance and live under obedience, both of which are essential to the monastic life. After a few years, Father Joseph passed away and Elder Ephraim eventually taunted young Francis a monk, giving him the name of the late Elder, Joseph. Father Joseph lived under obedience to Elder Ephraim for a few more years until Elder Ephraim passed away. Father Joseph succeeded Elder Ephraim and became the new Elder according to the monastic tradition. The now Elder Joseph and Father Asenios progressed spiritually together. They struggled with absolute asceticism and self-denial, spending many hours of the night in prayer and vigil, and in the day worked in silence, praying the Jesus Prayer. They fasted greatly and denied themselves many comforts, such as warm food, heating, extra clothes, and electricity. Elder Joseph continued to rapidly progress in his spiritual life, reaching new heavenly heights resulting from his prayer. It was noted by his disciples that both Elder Joseph and Father Asenios would spend the whole night in vigil every day, only sleeping a few hours in the afternoon after the Vespers service. Despite Elder Joseph's attempts to remain unknown, his reputation as a great ascetic began to spread. As a result, various laymen and monks started to come to him with a desire to become his disciples. Of the few that managed to stay and undertake his intense ascetical program, his most notable disciples are as follows. Elder Ephraim of Arizona, known for being the abbot of Philothel Monastery in Mount Athos for many years, and who went on to found many monasteries in America as a missionary later in life. Saint Ephraim Katunakia, a now canonized saint who lived in Mount Athos renowned for his great obedience and asceticism. Elder Halarambos of Dionysiu, who was the abbot of Dionysiu Monastery on Mount Athos, a holy man of great prayer. And lastly, Elder Joseph Vatopedinos, another disciple of Saint Joseph, who went on to become the abbot of Vatopedi Monastery and repopulated the monastery to a point now where over 120 monks live there. Eventually, after many years of struggled field and ascetical living, 
St. Joseph passed away. In the last 40 days of his life on earth, he barely ate anything, receiving Holy Communion every day. His death was a death of a venerable person. He was informed in advance by the Holy Mother and Archangel Michael about his death, that he was going to be taken on the Bunny Year's feast day. On the day of the Domitian of the Theodokos, he received Holy Communion for the last time. He gathered his disciples to bid farewell and to give them the last blessing. At the moment of his death, he called out, Everything is finished. I am leaving now, Evloison, and peacefully closed his eyes and departed, leaving his venerable and pure soul in the hands of the all-good God, for whom he lived and yearned all his life. He reposed in 1959 at the age of 61. It is extremely difficult to capture the essence of so great a saint in a span of a few minutes, and especially with Saint Joseph, whose life was filled with great temptations, divine visions, pure, all-encompassing love, and prayer equal to that of the Desert Fathers. This great saint, though, remains a beacon of light for all through his many writings and letters he sent to his disciples over the years. These writings, which are of great benefit to all, are compiled in the book Monastic Wisdom. Having acknowledged the great difficulty of summarising the saint's life, it is fitting that in one of the letters of St. Joseph, he himself writes regarding how he lived every day. So you don't want to suffer, then don't expect to ascend. Whoever does not endure suffering should not expect grace from him. So then, bear the chain of your Christ. Close your mouth tightly and don't let a single word escape. Give yourself courage, saying, Why are you sad, my soul? Why are you disheartened? Nothing bad will happen to you. Test me, my dear Christ, and try me like silver in a furnace. Then your roots will grow deep like the trees whose roots grow deeper the more the wind blows. God is my witness that it was during my greatest temptations that I found the greatest consolation. So be brave in the Lord, endure the temptations, and grace will surely come.
We hope you've enjoyed this edition of The Orthodox Journey. To keep up to date with our podcast, subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or head to orthodoxjourney.com where you can find even more Orthodox articles, talks, sermons and podcasts. Inside.